Genesis chapter 19, beginning at the 15th verse. Amen. Rest upon your feet when you have the word. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to him. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. Then Lot said to them, please know my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. See now, the city is near enough to flee to, and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said to him, See, I have favored you concerning this thing also, in that I will not overthrow this city for you, which, for which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for and I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew these, those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Just turn to your neighbor and say, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Now, oftentimes when we look at this scripture, they tend to focus on one of two things. They either focus on the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, or they focus on Lot's wife. But I want to take a little bit of a different approach here and look at Lot himself. Because Lot kind of gets left out of the story here. But there's some very interesting things that we can learn from Lot's experience here. And they're, they're very important, especially to our walk now as Christians. Now, Lot, he was the son of, of Haran. He was Abraham's nephew. And Abraham's father, Terah, was an, he was an idolater. He was somebody that, that worshipped idols. So he was out there, he thought everything else was more important than God himself. So Terror was a, a money chaser, he was, you know, a property chaser, he just wanted to, he worshipped these small gods to try to get ahead in life. And we have to be very careful that we don't let money and things of the world become our little gods. Because we're trying to get ahead in life because we're trying to get a foot in the door, because we're trying to be a little better off than we were yesterday. But we gotta be careful that these things that we desire, these things that we want, that we don't put them above God. So now we see that, that Abraham and Lot, they have a heritage of idolatry. They have a heritage, it's, it's in their lineage now. It's, it's a part of how they grew up. It's a part of what they know. It's a part of their experience. And now they're, now they're men, and now they're moving from, from one place to another, 
and they stop off in the city of Haran. The city of Haran was an idolatrous place. It was like the crossroads between all these other idolatrous nations. So it was like you have like Babylon and Egypt and all of these places that worshiped all of these false gods. This was like the city, this, this was like the crossroads, like where the gathering place. And there, there was a moon god cult there. And why Terah, Terah, their, their father was, he was the one that brought them to this city. So what does that tell us? That tells us that a little idolatry is only gonna lead you to more idolatry. When you fall, when you give in a little bit, you're gonna end up taking a mile. If you give the devil a little bit of space, he's gonna make a whole house for himself. So we gotta be very careful as to what we allow in our lives. Gotta be very careful as to, and even to where we go. Because this place that we get, this place that they went to, the city of Haran, it wasn't beneficial to them in any way. It wasn't going to enhance their lives in any way. All it was gonna do was push them further into idolatry. So we gotta be careful, not only what we allow into our lives, but even the places that we go and the people that we become attached to. So Terah, he ends up dying, their father, he ends up dying in the city of Haran. He ends up dying in his idolatry. He ends up dying in his sin. But Abraham and Lot were given another chance. They were given another chance. They didn't die in the city of Haran like their father did, but they were given another chance. So this is the same thing that God does for us. And the reason why there was two, there's a very important why there, the reason why there was Abraham and Lot that were allowed to come out of the city of Haran. Because their lives are gonna contrast and they're gonna see, you're gonna see two different kind of paths that our lives can take when we're given a second chance. Because all of us in here have been given a second chance. We've all been given another chance. Jesus came and died already. So we've all been given another chance. Now we're going to take a, a look at two kind of different things that we can do with this second chance that we've been given. So Abraham, of course, he becomes what they like to call the father of faith because he was, he was tried and tested by God to give up his son. He said, sacrifice your only son. And Abraham went to go sacrifice his son but the Lord told him to stop and he had a ram waiting for him in the bush to sacrifice instead. So Abraham chose the path of God. He, when he heard the voice of the Lord telling him to get from your father's house and from all your kindred, when he heard the Lord's voice, he could have easily said, no, I'm good, I'll stay right here. I'm, I'm good, I'm comfortable, you know, I'm living a good life right now because Abraham was rich. He was rich, he had cattle, he had land, he had money. Abraham was balling. He was balling. And he could have easily said, you know what, I'm going to stay right here and I'm going to be comfortable and, and I'm going to just chill. But when he heard the, the voice of the Lord, he responded. He responded to the voice of the Lord and said, this is a voice I'm not used to hearing, but this is a voice that sounds more powerful than what I already know. Abraham was only used to, to idol worship. This was all he knew. He only, he never heard any of those idols speak to him. He never heard any of those idols give him direction. He never heard any of those idols 
speak so clearly in such a powerful and moving way that would make him want to serve that idol. All he knew was that, okay, if I, if I sacrifice a lamb to this idol, I'm supposed to get more money. Or if I sacrifice a lamb to this idol, my crop is going to be good this year. That's all he knew. But the voice of the Lord was so powerful to him, and it was so strong, and it was so mighty to him that it caused him to respond immediately and said, okay, God, I hear you, and I'm going to do what you tell me. It's a hard thing you're telling me to do, God. Because you're telling me to turn away from everything that I know, everything that's comfortable to me, everything that I grew up with, everything that I've been around all my life. God, you're telling me to turn away from this stuff to follow you, a God that I've never seen before, a God that I can't make an image of, a God that's not sitting right before me in this little wooden statue. But it's just a voice that I hear. It's just the presence that I feel, but it's so much more powerful than what I know, than what I've experienced all my life, that I'm willing to follow this voice to see where it's going to take me. So Abraham responded to the voice of the Lord. And there came a point where Abraham and Lot had to be separated because both of them became very prosperous. They both had a lot of cattle. They both had a lot of land. They both had a, a lot of everything. And there came a point where they had to be separated. Abraham was like, their herdsmen started fighting. They started fighting. They was like, uh-uh, you move your cattle over there because mine are grazing here, and we can't have all our cattle in the same spot. So they were fighting. But Abraham said, you know what? We're brothers. We can't fight like this. So whichever way you go, I'm going to go the opposite way. And we'll have our own separate space, so there won't be any strife. We won't be bickering and fighting all the time. We're just going to have our space. So Lot went this way. Abraham went that way. And there, there had to be that separation between them. They could not dwell in the same place. If they ended up dwelling in the same place, they probably would have ended up killing each other at some point. But because God had a promise for Abraham, they had to be separated so that Abraham could continue to flourish and continue to walk in the way of the Lord. Had Abraham stayed around Lot a little while longer, he might have fallen back into idolatry. Had Abraham and, and Lot not have been separated, Abraham would have still been susceptible to that idolatry that he was used to. So as it is with us, sometimes we have to be separated from those things that will continue to make us fall, that will continue to make us trip up and slip up. We got to be separated from those things. We can't, keep, we can't keep going back to the same thing that we know made us fall the last time. So there was a separation that had to take place. And Abraham, he went and dwelled in the land of Canaan. He stayed in the land of Canaan. And Canaan was, of course, the promised land. That was the promised land. So Abraham chose to stay in his promise rather than go where Lot went. Lot went and he dwelt by the city of Sodom. Now the interesting here, thing here is that Lot decided to dwell outside the city at first. At first Lot was outside the city in his tents, you know, with all of his stuff. And he was good. He was outside the city. But there came a point where there were some kings that were fighting, and they came in, and they took the city of Sodom captive. And they took Lot and his wife and all of his belongings, they took them captive. Now, Abraham being in tune with the Lord, 
he knew what was going on. And he said, all right, I've got to go and now rescue my nephew. So Abraham took up a little army. They went and they fought all the kings and they rescued Lot and all of his belongings. Now, Lot, being a hard-headed knucklehead, said, okay, you've done rescued me now. I've been rescued. I was held captive. They took all my stuff. They took my wife and everything. They took all of this stuff away from me. Now I've been rescued. I'm happy. I'm free. And what does Lot decide to do? He goes back to Sodom. Not only does he go back to Sodom, but now he decides to dwell in the city of Sodom. He's not dwelling in his tents outside the city anymore. He decides to go and build this lavish house and dwell in the city of Sodom. How crazy do you have to be to be rescued from something and go back to that same thing? But this is what we do. We're human. This is what we do. We're, we're, all, we're all guilty of that. We're all guilty of that from up here to back there. We're all guilty of it. And this is what we do sometimes because it's, it's hard to let go of what you know and what you've known for so long. It's hard. It's hard. And though Lot was rescued, though he was brought out of that and had the opportunity yet again to go a different way, he still chose to go back to what he knew. He went back to the money and the easy living. He went back there. And yet he knew there's every indication here that Lot knew how the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were. And I say this because when the angels came, now Abraham, in tune with the Lord again, the Lord said to Abraham, he's like, I got to let Abraham know what I'm about to do to Sodom and Gomorrah because his family lives there. He was like, you know, that's, that's Abraham's people. So, you know, I'm going to let him know what I'm about to do so yet again, Lot can be rescued. So Abraham prays, you know, he's, he's standing before the Lord and he pleads with the Lord. He said, Lord, if you find 50 righteous, will you spare the city? The Lord said, okay, 50 righteous, I'll spare. He said, well, what about 40? He said, I'll spare the city for 40. 30, 20, 10, I'll spare the city for 10. Although God knew that he was not going to find not one righteous purchase in, in Sodom or Gomorrah, but because... Abraham was a righteous man. Oh, yeah. And because Abraham prayed to the Lord, God knew the desire of Abraham's heart. And although Abraham didn't expressly say to the Lord, please save my nephew Lot, the Lord knew the desire of his heart was that his nephew be saved, his nephew be spared. So what the Lord did then he, was he sent two angels. He said, all right, I'm going to go get Lot. You're going to go get his family. You're going to bring him out again. We're going to bring him out again. So he sends the angels. Now, Lot, when the angels arrived, Lot was sitting at the gate of the city. And I said, God, why is he sitting at the gate of the city? Like, this is, this is evening time. Shouldn't he be in the, in the house with his family, eating dinner, you know, in the evening? Why is he sitting at the gate? What was he waiting for? This kind of tells me, I have, a, I have a hunch, I have a feeling that, because Lot knew how the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were, and because potentially this was done to him before, that he would sit outside, he would sit at the gate in the evening time waiting to see if there were any travelers that were coming in so he could say, hey, 
come to my house. So because he was sitting there waiting, here come these angels, and they say, and Lot is like, he jumps up immediately. He's like, oh, come and dwell at my house. Now, I think Lot was a little bit prideful in this because he had this lavish house now, you know, he got all this money and all this cattle, and I think he just wanted to show off. Given his history of idolatry, I think he just wanted to show off. And he said, hey, you're new to town. Come and stay at my house. Let me show you around. Just stay at my house. And the angel said, no, we're going to stay in the streets all night. Lot was like, no, no, you got to come to my house. We'll make you dinner. We'll have, you know, we'll have wine. And we'll sit around and laugh. You got to come to my house. You got to come to my place. And the angels are like, no, no, no. But because he insisted so much, the angels are like, all right, all right, we'll come, we'll come and stay the night. But the angel's purpose for coming there was so that they can get Lot out of the city. But Lot was so stuck on and not realizing and not being in tune with what's really happening here, he's so worried about his stuff and showing off his stuff that he's not even trying to get out the city. He's not even trying to hear what the angels have to say because he's too busy talking, trying to convince them to come and stay at his house. So the angels are like, all right, we'll just, we'll just, we'll just come. All right. So they sit down and they have dinner. Dinner is over. And now here come the men from the city. They're like, we know you got those, those two strangers in there. Let them come out so we can have our way with them. Lot jumps outside and he's like, no, 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 no. You can't do this, but I have two daughters. You take my daughters. And they're like, nah, give us the men you have in there. So the angels, knowing that Lot is about to be destroyed one way or another, either he's going to be mobbed by the people or he's going to get stuck in the city because God is about to destroy it. So they yank him back into the house, and now they're like, Lot, listen, this is what we've been trying to tell you the whole time. God is about to destroy the city. We need to get you out of here. We've come to get you out of here. Lot, what does he do? He lingers. He's dragging his feet. Oh, they take me out of here. I'm going to lose all my stuff. They take me out of here. I'm going to lose all my possessions. They take me out of here. Uh, um, it's, it's just I'm going to lose everything. He was so worried about his stuff that he was not even willing to have his own life spared. And sometimes this is the point that we get to. We get so worried and wrapped up about stuff and about things we think we need that we don't realize that God is trying to save our lives. He's trying to spare our lives. He's trying to save us from so much stuff that's, that's going on in the world, so, much, so many things that we could get caught up in. But we're so worried about stuff and things that we don't even see what he's trying to protect us from. So we got to be careful when God sends us signs and he sends us warnings and he sends us these people that come and say, hey, don't go this way, don't go that way, don't do this. Don't do that. I'm trying to tell you because I've been there before. Don't do that. And we're like, yeah, but, um, you know, I need money, so I, I, you know, I got to go out and do this. And we got to be, we got to really pay attention sometimes because God will send it because he loves us that much. And because he's so gracious and merciful, he'll send us warnings and signs like, hey, listen, this ship is about to sink. So I'm giving you fair warning to get off the ship before it sinks. Hey, this city is about to burn up, Lot. I'm giving you fair warning so you can get your behind out the city so you don't get consumed in the fire. 
He was showing him so much grace and so much mercy, and Lot decided he was going to drag his feet. I'm just going to linger here a little while longer, and, and, and just I'm going to try to wait it out. He was like those crazy people during Hurricane Sandy when their houses were flir- flooding, and it was like, oh, let me try to save my stuff. No, we, they told you the storm was coming. You could have got out. We get warnings about these things. So, so now you have Lot. Now he's like, now he decides he's going to, in a moment, okay, all right, let's, let's, okay, maybe we do need to get out of here. And he goes to his son-in-laws, and he's like, hey, you know, the angel said that we got to get out of here, so we need to go. Because Lot was such a bad character, had such bad character, and he was such not a good person, his son-in-laws didn't even believe him. They were like, they, took, they literally took him for a joke and was like, yeah, okay, Lot, you, you, you go ahead. We're going to stay right here because whatever you say doesn't. And we have to be so careful because if our character does not match what we're trying to say, people won't believe us. People will not, they won't believe anything you have to say if your character and your life doesn't match up with what you're trying to say. For instance, it's hard to believe a preacher that would stand up here and talk about, you know, oh, you can be free from, you know, drunkenness and you can be free from alcoholism and they go home every night and drink. It's hard to believe what they say because what they do doesn't match what they just said. And it's the same with each and every one of us, though each and every one of us doesn't necessarily stand behind the pulpit, but people are watching us all the time. And if we walk around and we proclaim, yes, I'm saved, I love Jesus, I go to church on Sunday, my God is good, my church is the bomb, and, you know, y'all go to the Christmas party, and you turned up at the Christmas party, they're going to be like, well, I'm not going to your church, because you could just, you're doing what I'm doing. What do I need to go to your church for? You're doing what I'm doing. So we have to be careful that we live lives that kind of match up with what we're trying to say, that match up with the gospel that we're preaching, that match up with the God that we know, because we are his representations on earth. People can't, they don't see Jesus. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. People don't, he's not walking around here anymore. We are the Jesuses walking around now. And if we don't represent him in a manner that would cause people to be like, I want to know this God you serve, then we failed as Christians. Then we failed. So Lot, because he decided so many times that he was going to be hard-headed and so many times that he was going to be a knucklehead and so many times that he was just going to go back and keep doing the same thing over and over again, now the very people you're trying to rescue don't even believe what you have to say. You're trying to rescue them, trying to help them out, and they can't even believe you because you've lived this horrible life and didn't care nothing about anybody else before. Now you're trying to care? So because he, because he wasn't upright, because he didn't stand upright before his own sons, before his own family, they didn't believe him. And, and how much, how, how, how horrible must that have felt to Lot for him to be like, oh my gosh, my own family doesn't believe me. Because if you can't impact your home first, you can forget about impacting the rest of the world. 
everything starts at home. Everything starts at home. And because Lot didn't live up to certain standards at home, Lot could have very well been the one, if he had turned from his wicked ways and decided to go after God, he could have been the very one to save that whole city. He could have been the very one to turn that whole city around. But he was too worried about his money. He was too worried about his possessions. He was too worried about worldly things to be of any impact to his own home and his own community. And we have to be mindful that we live in such a way that we impact our home first and our surroundings as well. So if you're not seeing things change in your home or change in your surroundings, you got to take a look at yourself first. Is what I'm doing really lining up with what I'm saying? Is what I'm doing really lining up with the life that I say that I'm living? Because a lot of us say we're living a certain kind of life and we're doing something different. So we have to take self-inventory and say, is what I'm doing, is it, is it any good? Are people going to look at what I'm doing and say, okay, I could tell by what he or she is doing that they serve God. That's the kind of life that we have to live. So when we're afforded these opportunities like Lot was, and we've been rescued. Now, we, we've been rescued from sin. We've been rescued from this thing. We've been rescued from death. We've been rescued from hell. We've been rescued from once, once we accepted Jesus in our lives, we've been rescued from all of these things. Just like Lot was rescued from captivity, we were rescued from all of these things. And now we can choose to go two ways. Are we going to go the way of Abraham, the way of faith, the way of trust, the way of hope, the way of belief in God? Or are we just going to go back to doing what we were just rescued from? The choice is, is very much ours. And there, there's such a, a, a contrast between Abraham and Lot because they, they both had the same opportunity. They both came from the same family. They both had the same amount of wealth. They both had families. They were neck and neck. They were afforded the same opportunities. And when the time came for them to make a decision, is it going to be for God I live or for God I die? Or am I just going to keep doing the same old thing that I was doing that's really not getting me anywhere and it's not going to save me in the end? Abraham chose the way of faith. But Lot said, I'm just going to go back. And God gave him yet another opportunity. And Lot said, mm, I'm just going to go back. And even when, when the angels were like, escape to the mountains, go escape to the mountains, Lot was like, the mountains seem kind of far. And, you know, I'm not sure what's going to happen when I get to the mountains. You know, I could die when I get to the mountains. So let me go over here to this little city over here. See, by then, God was kind of like, okay, Lot's not going to change. He's not going to change. He's stuck in his ways. He's not going to change. So they were like, okay, yeah, Lot, you go over to that city. We'll wait till you get there, and then we'll rain down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. So we, gotta, we have to be careful when we're, when we're continually being afforded opportunities. This is why you cannot take advantage of God's grace. You cannot take advantage of God's grace. Because Lot, he continued to take advantage of God's grace and his mercy. 
He got opportunity after opportunity, chance after chance, until God was finally like, all right, if you want to go and dwell in that little city, you don't want to do what I tell you to do, then go ahead. Go ahead. That's where you go. That's what you do. And as a result, because of the way that Lot lived, his family didn't know any better either. So Lot's, his wife, her decision to look back is more of a reflection on Lot than it is on her. They look at it as she was just like, oh, you know, like Eve, you know. But even what Eve did is, a, is still a reflection on Adam. So what Lot's wife did is a reflection on Lot because he didn't live the life that he was supposed to because he didn't listen to what God was saying. Yes. Lot's wife, in turn, now she looked back. The city was burning, was, was on fire. And she looks back. Why are you going to look back to something that's being destroyed? Why are you going to look back to something that God just brought you out of as if you want to go back there? What would make you want to go back to something like that? And this is what God is really saying to us now, today. What is it about that thing? What is it about that person? What is it about that relationship, that situation, that would even make you want to go back? And we got to really take a look closely at that and take that question to heart. What is it that would even make me want to go back? Because sometimes we go back just because it's routine, it's habit, it's what we know. And it's hard to break habits. That's why I said, be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because you have to change your thought processes. You can be rescued from something, delivered out of something, but if your mind doesn't change about that thing, you'll keep going back to it over and over and over again. It's just like the children of Israel. They were rescued from slavery and captivity, but they still had that slavery and captivity mindset. That's why when they got in the, the wilderness, they were like, you brought us out here to die? We were better off it with the Egyptians, being beaten every day, but at least we got a little morsel of food. At least we knew we were going to sleep at night. You know, this is what they thought because it was familiar to them and because they had not changed their minds about what they had just been brought out of. The reason why God brings us out of these things is so that our minds would change. Our minds would change about him and about the things that we go through. He brings us out of those things so that our mind, something will click in our mind and say, you know what? God brought me out of that thing. And if he brought me out of it, he had to bring me out of it for a reason. And that reason should be enough for me not to go back to that thing. Because if I go back to that thing, for one, I'm either going to end up dying or I'm going to end up hurting the people around me. Or if I choose to stay away from that thing, if I choose to, to take a different route, if I choose to follow after God now, now what would happen? Now people will start to look at me and say, okay, something's different now. You were in this before, but now you're out of it. How'd you get out of it? How did that happen? How did that work? What, what, what was it that you did that got you out of it? And you can then say, it wasn't me. It was God that brought me out. See, when we choose to, to not look back, to not go back, 
it now affords us the opportunity for when people come up to us, we can say to them, I was brought out of that thing, and it was by God's grace. Now you can be brought out of that thing, and it will be by God's grace. If we go back to that thing, we can't say that to anybody. We can't say that to anybody if we go back to that thing. So this is why, it, why it's so important that we not be like Lot and his wife and not have such a, a desire for, for things and such a, a desire for stuff that's just going to perish away anyway. Sodom was going to perish away anyway. Sodom kind of represents the things of the world, those things that are going to perish away in the end anyway. And God has afforded us all an opportunity to get away from those things and to be rescued from those things and to, and to really live for him. To really make that decision in our minds to say, for God I live, for God I die. No turning back. No turning back. Lot's wife turned it in, into a pillar of salt when she looked back. That means she became frozen, stuck. She couldn't move. She couldn't go anywhere. She, that was it for her. That was it for her. Once she, once she went back, once she took that, that turn and said, uh, it, was it, it was it. That was it. We got to be careful because sometimes we think because God was gracious before that he's going to continue being gracious. But there does come a point when God says enough is enough. And we think that there's never a point when God says enough is enough. Oh, but there is. Don't provoke, don't keep provoking the Lord to anger. Because eventually he might be slow to anger, but he says he's slow to anger. That means eventually he's going to get to that anger. So we can't keep trying him and keep, and keep pressing and keep saying, okay, well, he let me do it for this long, so if I do it for a little while longer, it ain't going to make too much difference. No, that's not the case. That's not the case. We can't take advantage of his grace and his mercy. But we have to be grateful and thankful for it and be so grateful and so thankful for it that it will cause us not to even want to go back to that thing anymore. So now, now we take his grace and his mercy not for granted, but we use it as our strength to stay away from those things. Amen. We use it as our strength to keep moving forward, to keep pressing towards the mark of the high calling in Christ Jesus. That's what we use. That's what his grace and mercy are there for. It's not there for us to take advantage of. It's there for us to, to be our strength and to be our guide and to be our help along the way. So I don't know what it is that, that God may have brought you out of. I don't know what it may be that God might be leading you out of even now. But whatever it is, you know what that thing is. We all know what it is. But I admonish you today, don't go back to it. Don't go back to it. If it's a, if it's a relationship, if it's a situation, if it's a, if it's a place, if it's a thing, Whatever it is, don't go back to it. Don't be like the, the dog that returns to its vomit. 
Yeah, that's the illustration the Bible gives. A fool that returns to his folly is like a dog that returns to his vomit. You got it all out of you. It's all out of your system. All you had to do was turn and walk the other way. Because it's not until you, it's not until you give it up and it's not until you get rid of it and expel it from yourself that you realize just how nasty that thing is. That you realize just how not good for you it is. Now it's sitting there in front of you and you're like, ew. I was doing that. I was with that. I was going there. Like, seriously? It's not until you, you really get rid of that thing that you can be like, all right. It's not appealing anymore. Vomit is not supposed to be appealing. It's not supposed to. That's why they make that, that, that metaphor. Because it's not appealing. It's not appealing. It's not something that is desirable. So why are we going back to it? Why are we going back to it? But God, give us the strength today. Give us the strength today. Bible says his grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. God, be our strength in those weak times when we feel like going back to those things. But be our strength to help us to continue to turn away from it and to go towards you. Help us, God. Be our strength, God. His grace is there for us to rely on in those times when we feel like it. You know, I don't listen to too much R&B, but I like Kelly Price. And she has a line in one of her songs that says, a moment of weakness came in, a moment of pleasure in sin, but I cannot throw away better days just to have a moment as we lay. And that's the mindset we have to have. We will have our moments of weakness. We'll have our moments of weakness. But are we willing to throw away everything that God has prepared for us for that one moment? Is that one moment really worth it? Yes. Is that person really worth it? We can't, be, we can't be willing. There's so, so much that God has put in us and prepared for us. And are, will we be really willing to throw all of that away just for one moment? I know it's hard. I know it's rough to kind of get away from those things. But I'm telling you, God is there to help you. He's there to help you. He's there to be your strength. He's there to be your guide. If you let him, he's not going to force himself. But if you let him, if you say in those moments, in those times, God be my strength. God be my help. He'll be right there. He said, I would never leave you nor forsake you. And when he says never, that means in those weak times as well. In those times where you feel like you can't handle it. In those times where you feel like it's too much for you. In those times where you feel like you want to go back. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So he's right there. All we have to do is just ask him for help. Don't be afraid to ask him for help. 
Don't be afraid to ask him and say, Lord, just be my strength. Give me the strength to walk away again. Give me the strength to walk away again. And then give me the strength not to go back. So just turn to your neighbor again and say, don't go back. Don't go back. There's too much riding on this. Don't go back. There's too much in store for you. Don't go back. There's too much promise for you. Don't go back. There's too great a future for you. Don't go back. It's too great a future for you. Don't go back. Everybody's standing. Just don't go back. I tell you, that word was for me first. It was for me first. Because it's always, you always get in a, it's, a, it's so funny as a preacher that I found that before God gives me a message, he'll let me go through something a little bit and then give me the message to get out of it before I give it to the people. And he'll do the same thing for you too. The reason why we, why we go through some things and then he gives us a word that gets us out of that thing is so we can then turn around and tell someone else. So just don't, don't go back. Don't go back. Don't go back. Father, we thank you today. We thank you for your word today, God. Thank you for reminding us not to go back to those things and those situations and those people, God. God, we pray that you would be our strength, be our help, be our very present help in the time of trouble. You said you never leave us nor forsake us, God, so we're taking you at your word. God, when we're feeling a little weak, make your strength perfect within us. When we're feeling like it's too much, oh God, remind us that your grace is sufficient. Remind us that we can do all things through you, oh God. When we say all things, that means we can move forward in you. We cannot go back in you. We can do all of those things because of you. So God, even now, we receive your strength for this upcoming week, oh God. We don't know what this week holds, oh God. And there may very well be some things that try to tempt us to go back, oh God. But God, strengthen us now. Empower us now, God. Prepare us now, God. In the name of Jesus, oh God. We receive your strength. We receive your power, oh God. Hallelujah. For the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the power that dwells within us, oh God. Hallelujah. Help us to access that power, oh God, when temptation comes. Help us to access that power, oh God, when trials and tribulations come, oh God. Help us to access that power when we're feeling weak, oh God. You've given us that power, oh God. You've not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and of a sound mind, oh God. 
Hallelujah. So we, we decree and declare that when these things come up, rise up against us, oh God. We know that one, you'll lift up a standard against it, oh God. And that two, you'll allow us to stand in your power. Hallelujah. So we're grateful today, oh God, knowing that you are our strength and our power. Hallelujah. Thank you for your strength, God. Thank you for building us up today, oh God. And thank you for reminding us that that thing is not even something that we desire to go back to. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Thank you for all that you have in store for us, oh God. And we're looking to what you have in store for us, oh God. We're not looking to what was behind us, oh God, but we're looking ahead to what you have in store for us. For we know that what you have in store for us is great. It's wonderful. It's glorious. It's better than where we came from, oh God. So we thank you in advance, oh God, for what you're bringing us to, oh God. We thank you in advance, oh God. And we'll continue to give you the praise, the glory, the honor, and worship that you deserve. Hallelujah. Come on, put your hands together and just tell him thank you.